Now, as soon as we get uh, settled in here, we'll get on. You know, while you're waiting, turn to Revelation, if you would, if you have your Bibles. Still going through the churches, kind of crawling through uh, the seven churches. We are now on our third. Actually, our fourth. Well, fourth. But anyway, we're going to pick it up in Revelation chapter 2, if you'd be so kind, and turn to verse 12. We're going to look at the church of Pergamos, or as I'd like to say, the church of San Francisco. Right now, we're listening to both of them. The click. Anyway, I refer to it literally as the church of San Francisco. We're going to see as we've been going through these churches and seeing the types. And always remember, as we read this, it's written to the churches. Not the individual church. And the churches are who? Us. The called out believers. The ecclesia. Anyway, I'm going to just read. Normally I would like to read the whole chapter, but we're going to be reading some other chapters. So I'm just going to signal out this verse. So turn, if you will, Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to pick it up at verse 12. And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where Antipias was my faithful martyr and witness, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelt. But I have a few things against you, he, against thee. <coughs> Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou, verse 15, also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against thee with the sword of my mouth. He that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and then the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. This was the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, Father, we thank you for your words, Father. And once again, Lord, we come, and you said that blessed are they to hear the words of this prophecy, and Father, we seek thy blessing, Lord. We seek your knowledge and we seek your wisdom. And Father, we too would ask that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto us. Even now, Father, we just pray for all the word that goes forth in this building this morning. That you be glorified and honored. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Hey, Ron, do I need a mic? For those at home? Did they hear you? Unless these are on, I don't have a mic. Normally the mic's here, I'm assuming I can't. Anyway, for those of you at home, you can read my lips. Well, they can hear fine. Okay. Anyway, well, if we look at some of the backgrounds we've been going through the seven churches, we see how they all have a different calling out. God's signaling them out for something different. We saw in Ephesus, they were like the pure blood of Baptists. They could work, and they could work, and they worked, and they worked some more. Then we came to the second church. We saw Thyatira. The Lord didn't rebuke this church. They were so busy suffering, they probably didn't have time to be rebuked. It's like all they were doing was suffering. And they suffered. And we saw that even some were going to die. And we saw that was the price to follow the Lord. And that was with, with the church of uh, Smyrna. Now as we move to the church of Pergamos, we see some of the background here. 
definitely an interesting city. It was a city that had some power and some might. And as I read this, I mean, I am just synonymous with San Francisco. I grew up in San Francisco. I lived there. I know the politics very, very well. And when I was just kind of reading some of this stuff and the lifestyle, and the, the church that comes to my mind when I read this is Hamilton Square. We, we've had some feelings with Hamilton Square, but I knew Hamilton Square back in the 80s. You know, Pastor Ennis, the stuff they went through, the wars they went through, when they had the sodomites out there protesting and, and literally trying to firebomb the building, just so much anger and hostility in San Francisco. And we kind of see this here. But we also see the compromise. And that's what this church is. This is the first church that's really going full bled with the world. And as we start seeing, following the other churches, and we see them as a type and a pattern, we're going to see Satan's influence in the church. And that's what we're going to learn a little today. And we're going to kind of focus on the devil, which normally we don't give him the time of day. He already lost. We know he's going to be bound in chains for a thousand years, and he's going to be cast. He's, he's, a, he's lost. He's defeated. Jesus himself said, greater is he that is in you. See, we have no fear of the devil. We don't fear him. Now, we could fear some of his consequences, but most people spend their lives fearing the devil, talking to him, even praying to him. You hear prayers praying to the devil. I don't mean praying for him, but trying to rebuke him and bind him and all these things that just aren't, aren't, aren't biblical. As we go through Pergamus, we're going to see that this, this was one of the first cities that really sold itself out to the government. It was, it was kind of where it all started. Where we start seeing, where later we see the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, what's well, starting here. This is where the church and the world are getting wed together. This is where the hierarchy and the leaderships and the popes and all the garbage that we see today, this is where it started from, Pergamos. Pergamos was give, a city given to Rome. Literally, just, literally gave the city to Rome. Thank you. As you can see, there's some of it in that big altar up there, the holy altar of Zeus. I mean, huge, bigger than some of the Gothic places. The, the, the worship that went on to this place and something else that made Pergamos famous and something that we all still know, and it, and it is ironic because it is true. They have the seal, and you'll see it. The, they have the serpent seal running up the pole. If you guys remember that, everything about medical. Well, this is where it originated because they had the medical school there. They had a school of psychology. They had a school. They were healing things. Also, they, they, they were famous for their purple, their dyes. They were famous also for unions, which remind me of another thing of San Francisco. You couldn't get a job in this town unless you joined the union. And doesn't that sound like much like today? I was teamster many years, and we were what's called an agency shop, the closed shop. You can't work here unless you join the union, and vice versa. They can't hire no one unless they're from the union. So it was just catch-22, you can't get a job. So unless it's who, not, it's, I always say it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Pergamos was the same thing. So they had unions, they had a medical school. They, they were a city just much like today, and there were people just like as we have today. The problem was... And the world. They were the very, 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 very first to start getting infiltrated. We start seeing Satan attacking the people. Now, I titled this one, If You Can't Beat Them, Join Them. We saw Satan trying to kill people in the first church, Smyrna. Now we see Satan full circle. If you can't beat them, join them. So let's pick it up. Verse 12. And unto the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Well, does anybody know what that symbolizes? Simple guess. The Word of God is quick, and powerful, and sharper than two of each other. We see this picture. Remember, we see Jesus back in Revelation when he first came out. He has a sword out of his mouth. We see Jesus when he's returning. He has another sword in his mouth. We're going to see that this sharp two-edged sword is the Word of God. Now, the battle with this church is the Word of God. We start seeing patterns that, that 
God wants us to see tying all these churches to the Old Testament. And we're going to see that here in a minute. So we see it's about the Word of God. Jesus is judging this church with the Word. Verse, verse 13. Same thing we always know. When the Lord's so good, so wonderful in His character, He says, I know. He says, I know. I know. I know your works. And we saw Him with the other church. He knows your works. And this work means to toil, to labor, to carry jobs, to get it done. The work is under the Lord. Remember Jesus said, pray the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the harvest for workers. He's workers. And that includes us. See, sometimes we just don't work. See, Jesus said, I know your works, but what are you doing? Does Jesus know what you're doing? Does Jesus know what you're doing at home? Well, what are you doing for the Lord? If you say not much, well, then that's probably right. You're not doing much. But see, Necessarily, the word it doesn't always mean that you got to go sell all you have and go join a monastery. No. What are you doing with your time? The same 24 hours that we all have. But the Lord says, verse 13, I know that works. But you know something he says he doesn't say to the other churches? He says, I know where you dwell. He knows your home. He knows where we stay. Remember Jesus, when he came, he said, the foxes have holes and the birds have nests. But the Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head. See, he didn't. Jesus never had a place to actually dwell where he can live. This is dwelling. This is your home. This is what it means. Where is your See, God knows what's going on in our house. And I love this. Back in, if you ever go back and read Leviticus and you start reading, I've been titled this, The Sin in the Walls. When you read Leviticus, they come and find a mold in the walls. And the priest are to judge the mold. And if you read through that, you'll see it does the mold, does the clothes, does your house. Everything about your home, God cares about. God wants to know. But he does know. So if we think we got secrets at home, no one can see us. <laughs> Wanna make a bet? Verse 13, without knowest the word, without dwellest. And here's where we're going to start taking off a little bit. Even where Satan's seed is, Satan's throne. And that's a picture right there, believe it or not, of Satan's throne. And again, this is located in Detroit. This is live today. There is a church of Satan, and there's his throne right there. You, now people think this is all jokey, ha ha ha. There's no joke with the devil. He's real. So is all the things he could. But remember, the goal of the devil is always to deceive. And we can see some of his characters. He's deceived. When he opens his mouth, it's a trick you, to lie to you, deceive you. And even that's a deception for these people. But Jesus said, I know where Satan's seed is. I know where the devil's at. He knows where the devil's at all the time. You, you almost think he does it one time. Remember the, in Job 1 when God asked Job, the devil, where you been? He goes, well, I've just been walking to and fro through the earth, walking around seeking whom I may devour, what I can destroy, who I can lie, who I can kill. But see, we know where his, his, his seed is. We know that he has a place. And just as we're going to get into it, man, I'm going to show you a little bit of how Satan actually operates and some of the stuff that he actually does do. As we see his position, he has a place. See, the devil isn't like God. He's not all omnipotent. The devil can only be in one spot at one time. How he transfigures back and forth through heaven, I don't know. I, I just tell you, that's beyond me. How they, you know, Jesus appeared just like that. Well, how, how does the man go back and forth? The Bible just tells us they, they appear. They come. So anyway, since we know where he lives, and we see but Jesus has this, com this compliment to him. And he says, thou hast not denied my faith. That's a wonderful statement to make because you know why? How do we deny his faith? See, sometimes we think we just, ah, Jesus, you know, we curse you. No, 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 no. We deny his faith just like Ephesus. They lost their first love. 
It comes a little step at a time, piece by piece. You just stop reading the Bible. Oh, you're going to do it tomorrow. You're going to do it later. You just stop praying. Oh, I prayed last week. Really? You did? How are you going to hold on? How are you not going to deny his faith? Remember, the Bible gives an example in reverse. Who denies the faith? Who's worse than an infidel? Who's worse than an unbeliever? Somebody doesn't provide for his own. Remember the Pharisees, they, they for a pretense, they give tithes and met now, but they didn't give them to their mothers. They didn't honor their parents. They say, this is this is a gift, a koban. It's a gift. I don't have to honor my parents. Yes, you do. See, because when you don't, you deny the faith. Because how do we get the faith? How do people know we believe in Jesus? By what we do, by what we say, by how we act. And as we start seeing this, when you go through this church, that's the greatest compliment you can probably have. Because the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he that cometh to God must believe that he is. So, if we're not doing something that's pleasing God, are we not, in fact, denying the faith? Are we not worse than infidel at times? He even gives an example. Even in those days when Anna Pius was my faithful martyr, my faithful witness. And I like to, if you remember back very the very beginning of Revelation, when Jesus said, he is the faithful witness, it's the same word. A martyr and a witness, same thing. You know, if you die, you give great witness to the Lord. But see, he starts telling us that these, when Antipas was a faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelt. And that's what we're going to kind of, going to shoot off just a little bit. Because most people just think the devil's, you know, he's on our ear barking, barking commands, you know, the good angel and the bad angel. Satan doesn't have time for you, really. Satan has no time for us. We, we are so insignificant in the big scheme of things. But he's got a lot of cohorts and underlings. And even there, they don't have the unity. The demonic unit doesn't have the unity and obedience that God has with his angels. Because he sins, he sins, he sins. Now, devil's angels, every time we see demons in, in the Bible, in a few times, they're always isolated. They're always off alone. They're always off in... Tormenting somebody, uh, the palsy, the sick of the palsy. Every time we see him, we don't see an organized, cohesive structure of you know demonic ranks. They, like, they're just a free-for-all, except when it comes to Satan. He does have a plan, and that's what we're going to see through Revelation, is some of his plan. But first off, we, let's look at his character. We're going to start going down there, and, and we see in John 8, 44. Remember, he, your father, the devil, he was a murderer from the beginning, and he was a liar. He always was. He was a murderer. You know why they say he was a murderer in the beginning? Cain and Abel. He was not a deceived Cain. Satan was right there. That's who put the bug in, in Cain's ear to slay his brother. So we see he's a liar. We know he's a liar. And number three, we see he's a deceiver. He deceived the whole world. Revelation just tells us that's what he did. He deceiveth the whole world. And later on, when we start seeing when the Antichrist comes, what's the Bible doing? He's going to be deceiving everybody to do what? Worship. When we start to understand what Satan wants, Satan wants one thing, and it's not your soul. You know, we all think Satan wants our soul. No, it's not our soul. What Satan wants more than anything is to be like God. He wants to be worshipped. He wants all the glamour and the glory and all that seemed like that God has. He wants it to himself. And we're going to see that in a minute. But we see he's our adversary. First Peter tells us, beware. Satan's our adversary, the devil walking around, the roaring lion. See, sometimes we hear that roar, we know it's the devil. A lot of times we, we see, we, we can see, we can hear. And our sixth point is what we see in, in 2 Corinthians 
the Bible tells us, the God of this world. He wants to be just like God. When you understand that, you start seeing what's going on around us. When you see these false cults, when you, when you see what the Mormons and the Jehovah, even the Catholic Church, which are the Nicolaitans, and I'll say that for everyone. I read a lot of stuff. Everyone's on, dance on the pinhead. No one wants to call it out. The Nicolaitans were rulers, overseers over the underlings. Sounds like the, the exact system. When you see the history back here, what Satan was doing, when Pergamum, when they came and called Caesar his Lord, they made this a city of Rome. Well, this is where Christians had every year, everyone in that town had to go pinch a little something on the altar and say, Caesar's the Lord, saying Caesar's God. Because you know why? They called him Pontus Maximus. He was the chief pontiff. He was exactly what the Pope, the title the Pope claims today is exactly what Caesar claimed right here in Pergamos. The exact same thing. And if you didn't do it, you died. Well, what did the Catholic Church do for decades in all the dark ages? They killed Christians by the thousands. If you ever read Fox's Books of Martyr, and see what the devil was doing. That is a sad, horrible book. They, they, they ran out of ways to kill people. And yeah, that's kind of hard to think. But they ran, out of, they ran out of wood to burn them. They just couldn't kill them fast enough. But that's how Satan likes to operate. But see, he uses a trick and deception to us. But see, Satan runs his world. Remember, remember when the devil came to Jesus when Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights? And he was a hundred. Remember? What he said to Jesus, that all these kings, he took them on the mountaintop, showed them, he said, all this I will give to you. It's all yours, Jesus. It's all yours. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll bow down to me. But you know the one thing about that statement? Jesus never refuted it. Jesus never said, oh, no, 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 Satan. Hold on. You got it all wrong. No, no. You see, he just quoted back scripture. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only. See, he didn't refute Satan. That was one time Satan was telling the truth. All these kingdoms are his. The Bible tells us the God of this world. Satan operates kind of behind the scenes. He manipulates. Remember with Judas. How did he get Judas to do what he did? The Bible says the devil entered into Judas. So the devil's always got his man. The devil's always got somebody. But we see the, this vast kingdom. Right, let's go start to some verses. In Matthew, turn to Matthew 25. We'll just see, we'll get it up just a little uh, inside of what Jesus said about Satan. Matthew 25, verse 41. And Jesus is, remember Jesus said he saw Satan fall as lightning? We see that Satan seeks to whom he may devour. And here, 45, 41. We see when he gives an answer and people want to come and when do we do good deeds and when do we have our works? And he says, then shall they say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye curses, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, we know there's his kingdom. He's, he, you know, we all say the devil's ruled in hell. He's, he, he doesn't rule. He's a prisoner. He's just as much sick. But the Lord, you see, when we're seeing this works back and forth, I know that works. Look at verse 42. For when I was a hungered, you gave me meat. When I was thirsty, he gave me a drink. Remember, Jesus is saying, I know thy works. I know where Satan dwells. I know what's going on. I know your works. But what are your works? When? What are you doing? Then they'll the answer him, verse 44. Lord, when saw we hunger, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? When did you guys see somebody sick? You bring them anything? Call them up? 
Huh? See anybody in prison? You ever visit them? Send them some money? Put some money on the books? Send them a Bible? Huh? Somebody who's thirsty? Give them a drink? The guy standing on the corner is 999 green begging? You ever buy him soda? See, what do you do? What are your works? Because the Bible says our works proceed before us. They should be natural. You shouldn't be thinking about a good deed you're doing. You just do it. See, that's the word. That's part of tying the works. Turn to Ezekiel. We're going to see how Satan manipulates and hides. And how he, how God uses a, even the wrath of man to praise him. But in Ezekiel, we have... The king of Tyre being spoken to. And judgment is coming upon him. Ezekiel 28. This is a judgment that God gives on Tyre. And later on we're going to see Tyre, how Tyre, Tyre basically ran the world. Tyre had everything. Tyre was like the economy. It's like the stock market, the New York, whatever. Where all the money is today, that's what Tyre was. Tyre had the money. And if we go down later on, you read... It's almost verbatim when you read the, the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of Tyre, and all the things that they sold, bought, and sold, and traded in. It was all, this was the kingdom of Tyre, an actual island that Alexander the Great conquered. First, Nebuchadnezzar tried to conquer it, but he couldn't. He conquered the land all in front of it, but they were on a little island fortress, and they couldn't get it. Alexander finally took all the rubble from the old thing, built the causeway out, and destroyed the city. Just exactly like God said. God gave prophetic prophecies of what the destruction of Tyre a lot of people thought were true because he said it's going to be destroyed. And then after 70 years, and they said they'll never, it, it, it'll be flat. No one will ever be there. And they stretch out nets. To this very day, they still stretch out their nets of entire. But turn to Ezekiel 28. And what we're going to see here in verse 1. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. So here, we're talking to somebody. We're actually talking to a physical human being. The prince of Tyrus. Thus said the Lord God. Because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, all nations. Yet thou art a man, and not a God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. So here, we got this guy thinking, and we saw Nebuchadnezzar do that. Kings will get lifted up in their pride. The pharaohs will do that. Oh, I'm the greatest guy. And they start believing their own hype. They start believing that they're gods. Verse 3, Ezekiel 28. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. That's a good compliment. There is no secret they can hide from thee. Wow. Knows it all. Verse 4. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches. and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. All the world's got to offer. You got it all. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, hast thou increased thy riches. Now you got even more. You're not satisfied with that. You got more. And thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. <laughs> Remember, Jesus said, Trust not in riches. Don't trust in them. Those of us have money or you have money, you can't trust it. Just look at the stock market. I bet thing I open up and look at the thing and boom, in one minute, one minute, $20,000 gone. Just gone. I'm like, ah! You, 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 can't, you can't set your heart on these things. Watch. Verse 7. Behold, therefore I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and 
thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the sea. In other words, this is a man who's going to die. God's saying he's going to bring all these judgments, and we see that in Daniel. Some of the prophecies of Daniel were their destruction. Verse 9, thou shalt yet say before him, that saith thee, I am God. Thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth. Thou shalt die. Pick it up at verse 12. Son of man, take up the lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, the blueprint here, perfect, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. He's saying this king that's on a rule on an island nation, when was he ever in the garden of God? The garden of Eden. The serpent was there. See, this is now God's changing. Now God went from talking to the king to the prince, now he's talking straight up to Satan himself. And we're having this is the conversation between God and the devil. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God, verse 13. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald. Carbuncle and gold. All I can say that is beautiful. I mean, how many times you look at one ring? Just got one ring, and it's beautiful. One little itty bitty rock, one ruby. Woo! Man, you put a couple rubies and a sapphire. Man, that is one nice ring. This is a person made of just all of it. And then you take the same list on plant to heaven. It is so beautiful. Satan was a beautiful person. Was, but and gold. Pick it up. In the middle of 13, and the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes, the flute, our drums, and music was prepared in thee in the day thou was created. God made you. And this is gives you a little insight to Satan. Why Satan is so much into music, and there's so much satanic opposition. Why you have these bands? I'm mean, looking at one called blasphemy. It's just everything about them. They were blasphemy. But they think they're doing the right thing. They're honoring their God. But see, Satan. His music. And I, I've always took it that way. He's, it, thy pipes were prepared in thee. See, this is a gift of Satan and the gift of calling God without repentance. They're just corrupted. But in verse, verse 14, thou art, see, the gifts are calling without repentance. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. You ever see the cherubs on the ark? Big wings covering the ark. That might have been Satan's job. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. See, God did this. Satan didn't do a thing. God gave him the gift. God gave him the plan. God gave him a job, just like he does us. Thou walked up down. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He's been in heaven. He's been in the temple of God. Verse 15. Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. You see right there. Verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Basically, he fell in love with himself. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings. See, we see this empire, this absolute prosperous empire. Tyre ruled for a long time. Tyre, they, they, no one could compete with them on the shipping. They had the shipping. They had the money. They had the banking. They had the gold. It was the town to come to, just like San Francisco was. San Francisco was a good party town. San Francisco had a lot of things for the, for the world to offer. Had a lot of things to offer. But we see God speaking behind this man. Now one more. Turn to Isaiah 14. A lot of you may know this verse. But it's once again. Now God is talking to the king of Babylon. 
He went from talking to Tyrus, now he's talking to Babylon. Turn on Isaiah 14. I'm going to pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 9. Isaiah 14, verse 9. And again, there's going to be a conversation God is having with a person. Hell from beneath is moved to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It have raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. See, God's talking to leaders now. We're seeing an example. They're all going to come and let you know. Verse 10. They, and they all shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp has brought down all that majesty, all that you had, to the grave, the noise of thy bowels, the worms spread under thee, worms over thee. See, he died. He's in, he, he literally physically died. He's in a box. This is the man he's talking. He's talking to the king of Babylon when he set the context about the judgment that's going to come to Babylon. But now pick it up in verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. Now here's where Satan's coming. This is our problem too. We speak to ourselves this way a lot of times. I will ascend unto heaven. I can do anything I want. I will exalt my throne. Or whose throne? Not the devil's throne. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He's going to be the big kahuna in charge. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. He's knocking God off of his throne. That's the throne of God. Satan wants to knock him off. Verse 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And isn't that what man wants to be? We want to be our own gods. We also run our own destiny. Be in charge of our son. Well, no, those, those, you ever see those bumper stickers, God's my co-pilot? I hate that. God ain't co-pilot. God's flying the whole thing. We're, we're, in the, we're in the back section along for the ride. But see, Satan thinks he really is something. He really does think he has something. But Satan, when he manifests himself, again, it's not to torture us and torment us. Like, hey, Ron, can you click me one up? back there move it but what what he does is he's more running the, all the empires he's getting always he's always behind the king he's always behind leadership i mean he's always riding to the top i mean he's not really down there per se you know uh, causing palsy on people and in, 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 you know and um, uh, inhabiting children no he's got busy he's got a plan but his plan is to be like god he wants to be god he wants everything to be like that. That's what he wants us to worship of God. Now we turn back to Revelation. As we, as we see Satan trying to move the system and manipulate it with his power, as we go through Revelation, as we go later on, we start seeing the judgments of the nation. We start seeing when, when, when Michael throws them out, casts them out of heaven. And Jesus said, I saw him fall with lightning. And the Bible says, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Woe. Because the devil knows he has a short time. But now, if we see devils running this thing, let, let's see some of the manipulations that he likes to uh, manipulate for us. As we pick it up, back to Revelation 2. Pick it up, verse 14. But I, but I have a few things against you. Wow, what a statement. Can God say that about you? 
Did Jesus stand here, just you and him? Can Jesus say, well done, thou perfect servant? Enter thou into the joy of the Lord? Can he say that to you? Or is he going to say, you know, something wrong? I've been meaning to talk to you about this. What, what's going on in your life? What's happening that you can't uh, hear these words? I have a few things. And see, we see the progression of the church, because remember when we started in Ephesus, he said, I have somewhat against you. Now he's got, now it's expanding. See, the church is getting more worldly. But what does Jesus go? Does Jesus signal these people out for their personal sin? Well, you just lied. You didn't give your offering. Remember you? you were, he's not poking out individual single sins. What he's got is, is our lifestyle. What, what are we getting ourselves into? And here the church starts getting into what? They didn't, they didn't deny his name. They're being martyred. They're being slain in verse 13. But in verse 14, I have a few things against you because, now this is what he has, because thou hast them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Hey, Ron, you in there? Can you push me a slide or two? I don't have the click. Make the follow along. Anyway, what's the doctrine of Balaam? Well, there's one for you. This is what most people think the devil's doing. He's lulling them to sleep. He's just la la la. That could be far be. That would that's supposed to be before the we see his vast kingdom of domain. But this is what the world thinks. The devil's just sitting there. He pops up, he's evil, whispers something bad in your ear, makes you go do wrong. Oh no, it's far, it's 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 far more serious than that one. All right, how about one more? What we have is the doctrine of Balaam. Yeah, one more. There you go. Who's Balaam? So I'm going to try to slide in there because that's going to take us a few minutes. If you know the story of Balaam, what, he, what, what he's telling us, what Jesus told him, thou hast there to hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. Does it really matter what we eat? I thought the Bible says all things are clean. Remember that sheep came down with Peter with God had cleansed all unclean? No. But remember what it says in Romans. If you go there and get that nice juicy steak and they say, oh yeah, we just offered that to Zeus. Don't even take a bite of it. Why? Because they told you they offered it to the idol. If you already ate the thing and they told you offered it, that was good. See, it's a context. It's how we set up, how we prepare our hearts. But let's turn and see just a little bit about what Balaam did. Turn to Numbers. We're going to be there for a second. Numbers 22. And see, this is a very serious, serious, serious issue that happened there. When the children of Israel are coming out of coming across the desert, and they're almost going to start making it to the promised land. See, they're moving towards Moab. They've come up the backside already. They're getting they're starting to get ready. They've already been wandering around for quite some time. And now we see in Revelation in, in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 2. And Balak, the son of Zipporah, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. All right? So this king is worried. And just a little, throw you a little timid. You see how this said Balak? The first thing you see in that name is Baal. And that's going to be a problem. Baal is the bull. And that worship is starting, it came out of Egypt. If you remember anything in Egypt, and there's references to going back, how they want to go back and how they idol. And what was the first thing they did when they got to the cabin? Moses went to the mount. They made calf, the golden calf. They've been worshiping the bulls, and Satan uses that example. You'll see, you'll see bullheads sometimes. Satan uses lightning bolts. He constantly says, Satan uses the serpent. He has his little signals of uh, identifying himself. 
But now what happened is Balaam now brought these people and verse three, and Moab was sore, sore, sore afraid. Verse four, and Moab said unto the elders of Midian, how shall we beat this company? Now look us up, round about us. What, how are we gonna, what are we gonna do with all these people? See, the world gets worried about Christians. The world's worried when you come moving in and they wanna see a, a attack you. Verse five, now the king sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, which is by the river, the land of the children of his people. Now that gives us a clue. See, we, most people want to think Balaam, or, uh, Balaam was a godly man. No, he literally came from exactly where Abraham was. He came from Babel, came from the land of Chaldeas. We see that's what he tells us. He gives us a little clue. Later on, he tells us that he was even a soothsayer. But see, now we have this picture. Here comes a million of people of Israel. Now they're coming up to the south. Remember, they went had to go around all the water through the desert all the years. Now they're coming up. And Moab sees them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So as we see them, what happens with, with, with Balaam, he wants to curse them. Or he wants to bless them. When Balak wants Balaam to curse them, but Balaam cannot. Because he can only speak the words that God's given him. Now, we, Balaam starts marching on. He starts going with Balak. We, we get this little story here where about Balaam and his donkey in verse... Uh, Pick it up and say, verse 22. What happened, Balaam was saying, they sent the kings and Balaam said, I can't go, I can't go with you, I can't go with you. And then he says, okay, I'll go. He asked the Lord, the Lord said, don't go. Well, I asked the Lord, the Lord said, don't go. Well, let me ask God one more time. God said, okay, go. So now Balaam goes on. Well, see, we do that too sometimes. We presume it on our lust. God tells us, no, we don't want to hear no. We don't want to obey. We don't want the voice of obedience. We want to do our own thing. Now, so Balaam, verse 21, Balaam decided he's going to go anyway. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. That was the first mistake. Verse 22, and God's anger was kindled. You see that? Because he went. Well, didn't God tell him to go? Yeah, he did. After he kept begging, got his own way. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary. Wow, didn't didn't Jesus just say, I'll fight against you with the sword of my mouth? For an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. Okay, so picture. Balaam's on that donkey. I don't think the other two were on there. I think they're walking. But he's riding that donkey. And in verse 23, and the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way. You know, sometimes it does take an ass to see Jesus, because we can't. And forgive me the pun. But sometimes we are so blind in our sin, we can't see God standing right in front of us. Why? Because we're, we want what we want. We're so focused, we want our sin. God told us no. We have the command. We have scripture, thou shall not fill in the blank. We know it, but we want to do it anyway. So we just turn the page and read something. Oh, Jesus loves the little children. Oh, I like that verse. Now I can go. See? But Balaam went. And now we saw in verse 22 that anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary. Verse 23, the ass saw the angel, the Lord standing in the way, and had his sword drawn in his hand. Can you picture Jesus with a sword waiting to take off your head? You think he might be doing that for you today? There's something in your life that you made God mad? But see, they're drawn, and the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass, 
turn him. Now picture, he's riding along, all of a sudden the donkey's going the other way. He's like, get, get back here. He can't, that didn't work. You know, God puts roadblocks in their lives and hindrances and he'll close doors and we still mess with the lock because we want to sin. We want to do what we want and we just keep turning that knob until we finally get the door open. Then we get the key or we go, I'll just go look through the window. No, no, no. So now, but verse 24, but the angel of the Lord stood in the path of his vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. Picture this. Now, he was kind of in the field right along and the donkey turned. Now, he's getting in a narrow path. The path is getting narrower. God's just narrowing you down, narrowing you down. So finally, one day, it's going to be you and him standing there. So verse 24, but the angel of the Lord stood in the path, 25, and when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot. You know what? You just keep going for your sin, and now God's trying to get your attention. Now God's putting some pain in your life because you want your sin so bad. You just keep not. We just keep not listening to God. We just keep want to go. And God takes the things in your life. Maybe he takes your car and crashes into the wall. Maybe God will remove things. But God's going to put pain in your life. Why? To be holy like him. But he's trying to ward you. Now, verse 25. He got his foot smote. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. See, God gave him a chance. God gave him a chance. And God's giving you another chance. Now it's getting narrow. Things are squeezed. The pressure's on. Verse 25, and there was no way to turn either right or left. You know, God will just keep squeezing you down until he finally gets your attention. You know why? Because he loves you. He loves me. Verse 27, when he saw the ass, saw the angel of the Lord and fell down under Balaam. Man, it's just getting, he's going from bad to worse to terrible to awful. And Balaam's anger was kindled. Is that your first response? Did you see, can you see God? When you're so busy in your flesh, you can't. And he smote the ass with a stab. Oh, you just want to lash out and beat up people. But finally, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, what have I done unto thee? What is that? Can you just picture that for a minute? You just got your first crush. Donkey just fell on you. So you're furious. And then the thing starts talking to you. Now, always the answer is not so much him talking. It's the fact that Balaam answered it back. Yeah. Verse 25, Balaam said unto the ass, because thou hast mocked me. You know, sometimes when you're so angry, you can't even deal with reality. You can't even see the presence of God because we're so... And that's what happened. See, remember, this is this is a story being applied back to the church of Pergamos, what's happening here. And this is what the church is doing. The exact same thing. That's why God gives us for an uh, analogy. Verse 31, the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. Look how long it took. Look at the pain Look at the sorrow, look at the suffering that he had endured just to God to get his attention. Right? And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, verse 31, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Well, that's the right response. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Where have thou smitten thy dog? So late now God's telling him, okay. All this life, but now you wanted to go? Okay, keep going. But you better tell them what I said. So see, sometimes God does compromise to us in our way. And then he turns it into his glory, but look what Balaam had to go through to suffer to get that. And finally, in the end, it's going to cost him his life. Because later we go on and we start seeing what Balaam was doing. 
Pick it up in verse 20, in chapter 25. As we see him walking, now he starts going with the kings. And he goes with them. But this is what they did. Now, verse 20, chapter 25, verse 1. And Israel voted Shittim. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. This was Balak's, uh, Balaam's advice. Mm -hmm. You know, he couldn't beat him because he kept giving these things. Every time Balaam opened his mouth, he blessed him. And Balaam was furious. I brought you all down. It's going to give you riches and honor. I'm going to make you somebody. And all you keep doing is blessing Israel. See, he did do what God said. But no, he didn't. Because what Balaam did was, okay, I can't bless him with the word of him, but I'll tell you what you do. We can just use some deception, just like the devil. Verse 2, chapter 25, Numbers. And they called the people under the sacrifices of their gods. Who? <clears throat> Satan. And the people did eat. Wow, what, is, what does it tell us in Revelation? To offer things sacrificed to idols. To eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel, verse 3, joined himself unto Balafor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Wow. You know why God's mad at this church? You know why God? See, here, here's something we kind of had this mindset. Everybody pictures, you know, lowly Jesus, meek and mild, you know, his hands on the children, and he's come unto me, all ye labor and heavy laden. We forget that he's the God. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the one that stood there with Joshua the night before they conquered land, leaning on a sword, saying, you with me or for me? He's the one that has the sword. He's the God that judges all these. He's the God that when you see the anger of the Lord, you think Jesus wasn't mad? Oh, there was time. Jesus was mad. Of course he was. Remember, he went to the temple. The Bible says anger. He was furious what they did to his father's house. Are you furious when you hear some of these false preachers? Are you, are you furious when you see a Catholic priest doing his mass and all these people are there and his hope is focused in here to have a bite of Jesus wow. instead of in his heart? And that doesn't bother you? But that's what, see, it bothers Jesus. It really does. Turn back to Revelation. It bothers him. That's why he says, I have a few things against thee. Because you got the doctrine of Balaam. You're having people sacrifice the idol. You know what goes on today in the church when it's called, called classified as worship? It's an abomination. The stuff that's going on. I mean, to find a good Bible-believing, preaching church that actually sticks to the Word. That's not the easy thing to do. It's hard. Why? Because we see that they have them. Verse 14, see, they're them. These people that answer, remember the wolves in sheep clothing, they infiltrate the church. And what is their goal? Put a stumbling block. See, they can't. Pastor wouldn't come up here and get a passage that said, Jesus is not God. Jesus was a created being and a son of No, 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 no. He's not going to spew the blasphemy and the heresies. But real subtle. Pastors come in real subtle. Oh, don't worry. You, know, you get saved later. They just slide these little things in there, but it's a stumbling block. And what do they do? Things sacrificed on the idols. Well, what, what is an idol? An idol is anything you put before God. Now, it's usually a statue. Right? It's a statue or something, but in this day and age, we call it TV. Man, that is the biggest idol of y'all. But you want to know the worst idol of them all in this time of season, and I'm here to tell you, probably no one's going to like me, especially you at home. The biggest idol we have is called Santa Claus. That is the biggest idol. What, you say we don't bow down and worship this guy? Oh, yo, you better be good. You better, you better be nice. Right. Santa Claus coming down. Right. right? All the attributes of a godly deity. 
is attributed to his faith. He knows when you were sleeping. Oh, Jesus said, I know your works. Jesus said, I know where you dwell as well. I know when you were sleeping. Santa claims to know these same things. This is the exact same things we had tried to Santa. And I'm here, I've been saying it a long time. Santa and Satan, just go like this, switch one letter. Now, what does Satan do? We see his analogy. He hides behind. When the Bible tells us the idols, it's not the idol, it's a demon behind the idol. It's a demon behind Santa Claus. And what are we teaching our children? This guy is going to reward you for being good. Oh, but if you're bad, what do you get? A lump of coal. Right? He doesn't come. And we threaten them. And how, how can you do methodically? They can be everywhere at the same time, come down all these chimneys and give everyone presents. Wow. Sounds kind of like Jesus to me. Then when you take that, you take the other god that they worship, you know, Astaroth, a.k.a. Ishtar, a.k.a. Easter, and we attribute that bunny laying eggs, and then we got Santa, and we wonder why our kids don't believe in Jesus. It's on us. We were... Anytime someone's in Santa, I mean, Santa Claus comes to look, mail a letter to Santa. Well, you're supposed to pray to this guy. What's the difference between this idol and the idol back in Balaam's day? What's the difference? See, we make these things so we can see them. Remember Isaiah? You ever read Isaiah? It's fantastic. Oh, they get the carpenter, they get the bed, they carve them. Oh, fantastic. Oh, make a little more, take some bread. Oh, it's cold outside. Let me warm my hands with it. Oh, but I'm hungry too, so I might have roast my bread. Oh, but I make it. It's the same tree. But us in our stupidity, we allow Santa Claus. Oh, it's okay. The kids are just... No. When you hear Santa Claus, rebuke it. Shoot him down. Blast it. Why? Because these are the things that Jesus hates. He hates them. If God says he hates it, and we see his judgment coming upon in the Old Testament, all these judges, not just the same Jesus. Remember, we saw, thus saith the Lord of hosts and his Redeemer. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel and the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is Jesus. He's angry. He is mad. And he, so he ought to be. Why? Because what's happening? Verse 14, because thou hast there. See, kick him out. There's no spiritual discernment. Let anybody come up and teach and preach. And some of the stuff that goes on in the name of Christ, the Benny Hens and all this healing, the Word of Faith, Hagen and all these guys in the Word of Faith crowd, all name names, I have no problem doing it because they claim to be the church and this is what the problem with the church is we let these people in. But look at, keep going. Verse 15. We see Dr. Balaam. So thou, so hast thou also, oh, boy, this church is a mess. I mean, not only, see, they got sin. There's no judgment. People have fornication is sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. Plain and simple. That's what it is. But back in the day, if you understand the worship of Baal and evilness, the worship is used, these temples and altars, the ultimate goal of Baal was to have sex in front of him and turn that God on so much that he's going to prosper you because he liked the sex that he saw. That is to the mind. But that is what the worship of Baal is about. That is the worship. Same with Asherah, the same thing. That's what you call them, like the temple prostitutes. The joy of their worship was to have sex. And that's what they were doing. Plain up and simple. But also, verse 15, thou hast there, the doctrine of Nicolaitans, we've seen that scattered a couple times in previous churches. But Jesus said, this thing I hate. <laughs> now, I hate the Catholic Church too. 
I'll just straight up and say, I'll name names. I have no problem with that. Why? Because they're evil. They're evil. They, they don't worship my God. I mean, they bring Mary. I'm Mary. Mary, who said, my Lord, she worshiped Jesus. But we're trying to get them to worship idols. They get you to worship statues. Don't eat. Don't do certain things. Remember, they finally did away with it. I guess you can't eat fish now or no meat. Bible tells us in Thessalonians that that's the very doctrine of the devil, to abstain from marriage and abstain from eating meats. The very doctrine of the devil. That's a doctrine taught from hell himself, which is exactly what we see Balaam doing, which is exactly what the stumbling block was to the children of Israel. So, to add to the insult to injuries, they do that, but they also use the Nicolaitans. And the Lord says he hates it. And you got to understand, God hates things. God is angry with sin. God is angry with the wicked every day. Every day. Well, I'm supposed to be loving God. No. He is. But he also hates sin. So he has this, but the Nicolaitans that are just brought into the church. And, and again, as we take this through the time order, as, you know, some people like to take this as blocks of time. But it just, I see it as, it is stages that the church is in on each and every church. Sometimes the growth of the church. There's just so many ways to interpret it. But it is blocks of time. Sometimes we see this as a, when the Catholic Church started expanding. After three, after what, 327, the Council of uh, Nicene. That's when they, the, they solidified the Catholic Church. That's when they took Christmas and made it December 25th, which just happens to be the winter solstice, which just happens to be when Nimrod was doing all his stuff, which is taught in Babel. When you trace this stuff back, I mean, it just runs key full of circle. You see the fingerprints and the threads of Satan all through the scripture. But God is trying to point us back to these churches to see us, to tie us to the Old Testament, to make us see what was going on then. It's happening now. Because remember, the Bible tells us all these things were written for our examples, unto whom the end of the age. All this, the story of Balaam, the story of uh, Moloch, everything that was going on was there. But verse 16, Jesus always ends with this one. We just have to. We have to repent. Repent. Simple word. Go that way. That's all it means. Go that way. Whatever you're doing, do something different. You watch TV, turn it off, read the Bible. Whatever the length of that your favorite show is, 45 minutes, tell you what, take 45 minutes, shut off TV, read the Bible. Just for the same 45 minutes. Can you do that for the Lord? That's repent. Stop doing what you're doing and do something else. It's that simple. It gets sure as hard. Huh? Repent. Wow. You know something? Now this is something we ought to worry about. Or else. How many times have you done that to your kids? If you don't get on the ticket, you, know, you better or else. Huh? We hurled that or else. You got the God of the universe talking to you and me saying you better repent or else. Well, I don't want to know the or else. I really don't. Or else I will come unto thee quickly. You know, he just might snap you right out this world. Just like that. One breath away. Remember Belchazzi, God of whom the breath of thy nostrils, one breath, God to take you away. And will fight against them. Well, turn personal and now it's back to the church with the sword of my mouth. You know what a battle always will be and always will be? We have to close with this. It's the word of God. It is the word of God. The battle will always be the word of God. It was yea, have God said in the beginning. And we're right now, Jesus is going to fight against his own church with his own word. That's why we have to repent or I will fight with thee. And he that hath an ear, let him hear. And then what's he going to do? 
to him that overcometh, verse 17, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. Well, there's again, and I wish I had time to go back on that, but that that's also ties us right back in the beginning, the Exodus, the manna. And manna means what is it? The bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Eat of me. And it's just a whole wonderful circle, but we just going to have to let that one slide by, unfortunately. But they also give you a white stone. And I see that manna was used. White stone is what they were using in the times. White stone is what the Romans, they put your name on it. It's like a ticket of admission. It was a meal ticket. They do a lot of things. It was also the cast verdicts. Guilty and not guilty. The casting of the lots. But in this case, a new name written. Hey, have we ever sang that song? There's a new name written down in glory. Yes, it's mine. Now you know where it came from. This is where the verse came from. But see, we need to overcome. We need to remember. And we need to repent. And we need to know that Jesus is in control. No matter what we do, he's in control of it all. Every day, every way. And with that, he's in control of the clock. And the clock is struck. And so we must close. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for another day with your word, Father. Thank you for these words. And Father, your warnings to the church help us to take heed to what you've had to say, Father. Even now this day, Father, as your word goes forth, let it go in mighty power. And once again, we beseech you that you give us these ears to hear what the Spirit says. And for this, we praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, any questions? Feel free to ask. Let me know. I guess we'll get a break on next Christmas, so we'll come back the first of the year.